Good morning, church. Hey, there we go. I knew we were awake. Uh, well, welcome to 116 Bible Church, brothers and sisters. I'm Sean. I'm the associate pastor here. If, uh, I haven't had the chance to introduce myself yet, but um, on behalf of 116 Bible Church to all of our visitors, we are blessed and happy to have you here with us today. To all of our beautiful returning members, it's nice to see you again. Um, it is a wonderful thing. It is a blessed thing. It is a good thing to gather together as the body and to worship and serve the living God. Um, and to do that, to be blessed, to be able to do that each week, and not just each week, but as often as we do, um, whether it's service on Sunday or it's midweek Bible studies, um, we have a blessed, beautiful opportunity um, that God has given us to not just call ourselves the church and not just say something as silly and flippant as going to church, but being the church and gathering together as the church. It's a wonderful thing. Um, now, uh, we actually will not be in First Samuel this morning, and I apologize for that. I am usually the stickler for sticking to the series that we're in, um, but this week we're actually going to be in First Corinthians. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we'll be reading verses 1 through 4. Um, I'll give you just a moment to find that. In case you're wondering, it is the book that comes right before 2 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians chapter 16, in fact it's the last chapter in 1 Corinthians, so if you go to 2 Corinthians, just go back one page and you'll find it. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, beginning in verse 1 and going through verse 4. If you have found it and you are able, I do ask that you would please stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. Again, that is 1 Corinthians chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. And the word of God says... Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we, we come before you, Lord, um, blessed and humbled and happy, God, that you have, God, that you have seen fit to, to share your love with ones such as we. Father, we know that we are undeserving of your love, Lord. We know that we are unworthy, God, but you in your in your holiness and in your righteousness and in your goodness, but also in your mercy and in your kindness and in your grace. 
you turned your affection toward us. When you would have been perfectly justified in just letting us go our own way to, on the path of destruction. But you instead loved us. We come together, Lord, and we so often hear of your love and hear of your kindness and hear of your grace and your mercy, Lord, that sometimes they just become words. Lord, this morning, renew in your people that awe, that amazement, that wonder that the God, the creator of the universe, who by the very words of his mouth spoke into being everything when there was nothing, has chosen to set his love upon us. And may that realization, may that remembrance, may that awe turn to worship. And this morning, Lord, may we be reminded of one way in which we can worship. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name and for his sake that it would be about him and not about us. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. It's a seemingly pretty innocuous passage. Um, just to give you a little bit of context here, as I mentioned earlier, it is the last chapter um, in the book of 1 Corinthians in this letter that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. Um, and uh, as usual, towards the end of his letters, he's you know kind of buttoning up some administrative details, um, giving his hellos and things like that. Um, and in the, in the passage that we're in today, he's actually talking about the collection that he is um, that he is encouraging the church in Corinth to prepare for the church in Jerusalem. Um, and he's talking about, um, and he, he says, now concerning the collection, so it's likely um, he's responding to something that was mentioned or brought up in a letter that was written from the church to him. Um, so... We have Paul addressing this issue. There's probably a question as to, like, well, how do you want us to do this? Do you want us to take up, like, a love offering when we get here or something to that effect? And Paul is basically laying out um, how to uh, how to prepare the offering um, and so it can be uh, transported from Corinth to the church in Jerusalem. Um, a little bit of background regarding uh, why he was taking up a, an offering for the church in Jerusalem. Um, the, the church in Jerusalem, if you recall, Jerusalem is really where um, truly where Christianity starts in earnest. Um, that's where Christ is crucified. Um, it's where he's resurrected. It's where um, uh, it's where he ascends into heaven. It's where um, it's where Christianity really kind of earnestly starts. And even after his ascension into heaven, um, in Jerusalem is the day of Pentecost, um, and that's really where the Spirit of God is out for on the people of God, and you know we see all the amazing things that we saw that we see in the Book of Acts um, regarding the 
preaching and the receiving of the word preached and um, everybody's own language and, and things like that. Um, but uh, this church in Jerusalem was really um, going through a pretty tough time. The church in Jerusalem, sorry guys, I'm, I have to dig the well before we get into the meat, so just bear with me here. So this church in Jerusalem is, um, I mean, they're going through a tough time. Um, and the, the, the belief, um, from what we understand, um, was probably one of the famines that Paul mentions elsewhere in his other letters. Um, there were multiple famines um, during Paul's lifetime in Jerusalem and the surrounding area, including one that even um, affected the majority of the Roman Empire altogether. So there's, they're they're really struggling, man. They're 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 they've got famine. Um, they're really uh, because of the famine, you know, nobody can raise livestock and grow crops and things like that. That's what a famine is. You know, you can't grow the food you need. So um, not only are they now suffering famine, now they're really impoverished and can't get the food they need from elsewhere because they can't grow what they need to make the money in order to get that. Um, and also, very likely during this time, um, probably some persecution going on as well because, I mean, we're, we're talking about really the shortly after the inception of the church in earnest. So what in Jerusalem, you know, Christians still aren't, you know, they're really much persona non grata. You know, they're, they're not the kind of people that um, the powers in Jerusalem are welcoming towards. Um, so there's probably some intense persecution going on as well. So this is what this collection is about. But in this, we actually see a very important lesson and a very important illustration and really kind of the birth of the offering portion of the service that happens every Sunday. And so, um, and this passage that we're in today actually comes right after Paul just expounds beautifully and gloriously on um, the future resurrection, our resurrection bodies and the nature of those, and the final victory over death and Hades and sin. Um, I mean, e verse 58 of chapter 15, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And from there he transitions into what? Giving. Continue in the work, knowing that your work is not in vain, that your labor is not futile, it's not meaningless, it's not fruitless. It has something, it bears something. Why? Because in light of this future that we as the sons and daughters of God are promised, this resurrection that is happening one day, our, and our victory over death, sin, and the grave. He transitions into giving, and now starting in verse 1 of chapter 16, concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. So now... What Paul is doing here, he's not giving some kind of special commandment to the church in Corinth saying, now I didn't tell anybody else to do this, but to you I'm going to say, do it like this. No, he's saying, like I instructed the churches in Galatia, do what I told them to do. Which means what? That Paul is very likely, I mean, in, in all reality, He's giving out this message to as many of the church plants that he is even tangentially involved in as possible. 
Why? Because the need in Jerusalem is that bad. The need in Jerusalem is that great. It's that severe. So much so that Paul is going is writing to the churches saying, the people of God in Jerusalem to whom you owe your salvation because of the because of the fact that the Messiah himself came through the people of Jerusalem and he was sacrificed and died there for your sins because of that these people need your help so he's saying um, so this this encouragement regarding this collection Paul is um, we see it to be more as a universal encouragement rather than um, a particular one to a single church or a single gathering of the saints um, and what we see there honestly what we see here is the birth of the offering portion of the service as we know it um, this is the beginning of the offering like this this is why it happens it's not just a kind of a well we used to do you know, bulls, cows, lambs, and stuff like that. And now we do money or crops or something like that. No, it's it's not just that, but it's also this idea. Yes, this may be a continuation in some sort, but it also has a very real, very material purpose. And not just a material purpose, it has a spiritual purpose. And so Paul is encouraging, do what I told the churches in Galatia to do. And it's very likely that Paul is actually writing this letter from Galatia. Um, so he, you know, so he's saying, I, I just, just, you know, went over this with the church that I'm currently uh, residing with right now. I'm trying to get them ironed out. So do the same thing. Um, and he, uh, but also letting them know, um, as he mentions in Second Corinthians, um, not burdening one congregation in order to alleviate another one but encouraging all the congregations to pull together in order to um, provide for the people of God. Verse 2, on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Now, we have here quite clearly um, a what is essentially a couple of things. Um, on the first day of the week, so we see um, really a casual reference like, uh, you know, like, duh, of course this happens. The church gathering together on the first day of the week. That's when they come together. Even in the first century, we see the church coming together, not worshiping on the Jewish Sabbath, which was the last day of the week, but worshiping and serving Christ on the first day of the week. Now, why would that be? Well, that would be because Christ himself was raised to life on the first day of the week. And in remembrance of Christ, um, and basically as an, act of, as an act of remembrance, as an act of worship, the church started meeting together on the first day of the week. So really, every Sunday is Easter Sunday. Why? Because every Sunday we are remembering the resurrected Christ and him coming back to life, defeating not just sin at the cross, but death at the end of the day. And we see here this, this passing casual glance on the first day of the week, you know, when you gather together, because that's when you see each other. On that first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside. And this first day of the week also may be a 
um, maybe a clear uh, a reference rather to um, taking your first earnings for a week. Don't wait until the end and whatever you have left over, go ahead and put that aside. But rather on the first day of the week, that's when you put something aside. Your first earnings, that from which you first gain, put aside. So, And why, why would you do that? Why? Because on the first day of the week, you're going to allocate money to things that are the most important to you. You are showing your priorities, and here Paul is saying, so on that first day of the week, and in this time, people were paid day by day. It was a, you were paid a denarius for a day's work. You, you, weren't, you didn't get a weekly paycheck or a bi-weekly paycheck or whatever. You instead got a day's wage for every day that you worked. So Paul's saying, on the first day, put it aside from that. Put that aside. Put, put aside from your first day's wages that which you have determined in your heart to give. And he says, lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. The, the Old Testament idea of a tithe, a 10%, is a great model. But the 10% rule itself is not carried over. What is the carried over instead? The idea of intentional, generous giving. And quite clearly, as we see in this passage here, systematically. Intentional, generous, systematic giving to the work of the Lord for the prospering of the saints. That's what we see here. He's saying, story up as he may prosper. He's not saying, set aside 10%. He's saying, whatever you can spare. He's saying, whatever it is, you can determine to give joyfully. Set that aside. He's not binding them to this 10% rule. He's not restricting them in their giving. This isn't this idea of uh, you, you can give up to 10% but no more. It's this idea of you give as much as you can give joyfully. Why? Because the Bible is very clear. God wants a cheerful giver. If giving 10% makes you grumpy, keep it. God doesn't want that. If giving 10% puts you in a bad mood, then don't give 10%. But the idea here wasn't to restrict. It was instead to open up. Because the, the tithe wasn't, wasn't even so much anything given in, up above and beyond the tithe in the Old Testament was a, a free will offering. And so, but, but the, only the tithe itself went counted towards your, you know, your, your yearly contribution. Anything given above that wasn't really counted. What, what Paul is saying here is give as much. As you, as you possibly can joyfully give. He's saying, don't feel restricted by this 10%. If God moves you to give more, you give more. And it's beautiful. And you do that as an act of worship. You store up as you may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Paul's saying, I don't want to I don't want to get there and you guys scramble around trying to come up with some loose change, checking the couch cushions, or under the car seat, trying to say, oh, 
We got some, we got, we got a quarter here, we got a nickel over here, we got a dime over here. I found a dollar in my pants pocket. Awesome. No, he's saying none of that. He's saying, he's saying don't do that. Because now you're not giving intention. Now you're not giving joyfully. You're, you're giving because I showed up and now you feel bad. He's saying instead, set aside now in preparation for my appearance, for my coming. So that when I get there, you don't have to try to scramble to put together a gift in order to appease your, your guilty conscience. But instead, do it now. And when I come, I can see the abundance that you have been collecting over this time. And the church in Jerusalem will know that they're not in this alone. The church in Jerusalem won't feel like they're stuck on an island where nobody can get to them. And the people with the boats are too busy to care. But instead, letting the church in Jerusalem, letting your brothers and sisters, and remember for Paul, the brothers and sisters in Christ was a, was a very serious was a very serious relationship. Because if you remember, in his letter to the church in Galatia, he talks about his, essentially his, essentially giving his resume to make a point, but talking about persecuting members of the church. And um, this, this, is, this is the gospel according to Sean. It's by no means in the canon of scripture. So don't quote me on it. But... I imagine when he's writing that section in, Gal in Galatians, he probably has to stop when he gets to the part where he refers to himself formerly as a persecutor of the church. Why? Because he's talking about brothers and sisters, people who he now calls brothers and sisters' family. He's saying, I imprisoned them. I hurt them. I separated them from their loved ones. And I hate this song. So, for Paul, this idea that the church is a family, it wasn't some flippant, casual remark. It was a true reality that had some real weight. Because he knew what it was like to be not just on the outside of the family, but to hate the family. And instead of being left to continue in his hatred for Christ and his children, his brothers and sisters, he was brought in. And we see the gratitude of Paul so great, so exuberant, that the idea of giving a little money for the needs of brothers and sisters was by far the least he could do. And that's what he's saying here, is that this idea that we're a family, these aren't just words I say to try to get you to do what I want you to do. Your brothers and sisters, the saints in Jerusalem, your family needs your help. They need our help. Let's give it to them. Because that's what family does. 
Verse 3, and when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. Your translation may word that a little bit differently. It may not refer to um, your letters. It may just say, I will send them with letters to deliver the gift in Jerusalem. So what is Paul doing here? Paul is saying, if, if trusting me is the issue, send your own messengers when I get there. So for, if there's anybody in the country, because remember, he's, he's talking to people in Corinth. Brother, they had some issues. They had some real sin issues. And a lot of it had to do with um, syncretism from the surrounding areas kind of creeping in. And they had some real sin issues here. And Paul is saying, if, if, if I'm the problem, if you have a problem trusting me with the gift, send your own messengers with your own letters, um, or if your translation doesn't refer to your, your letters, uh, the idea is being, is being Paul is saying, with your own letters, or I'll write letters myself, vouching for these guys, for these messengers, to the church in Jerusalem, so that when they, when they show up, they will be received and welcomed openly. And he says, and send them, send them with the gift. He's like, I don't want to be a stumbling block. I don't want to be the reason you choose not to help your brothers and sisters because for some reason you have trouble trusting me. You think I'm going to skim some off the top or you think I'm going to take some and blow it on... I don't know what they do back then. Hookah? I don't know. <laughs> no, no. I don't know what they did back then for entertainment, but whatever it was, he's like, if you think I'm going to blow some, blow some of that money on my own personal wants or desires, send your own people Write your own letters vouching for them, or I'll write them myself. It doesn't matter, as long as the gift gets there. And verse 4, but if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. And Paul is saying, and if some of you are like, no, we want Paul to send the money. He's like, I'll go with them. You get the best of both worlds. I'm being watched, they're being watched, everybody's being watched, but the money's got to get there. That's what Paul is saying. The idea isn't, isn't, isn't my ego. It's not me getting offended. That somebody else, that somebody can't, feels like they can't trust me with the money. Honestly, this is a, we're also seeing really uh, the birth of the tradition of the pastor, the elders of the church, not being the ones who count the money, the ones who are in charge of the offering. We're seeing, we're seeing here really a lot of things happening in the early church that we're still doing today. And we don't really even know why. Why does the pastor count money? He's got no false plate, I guess. I don't know. No, it goes back to this, this instance, this situation right here. Because the pastor, being on the church payroll, should be removed from that process. So that people don't, so that there can't even be the opportunity for accusing him of taking money that is unaccounted for. And what we are seeing in this passage right here is again the inception of intentional, systematic, generous giving in the church. And this is, as Paul said in verse 58, it is part of being steadfast, immovable, always abounding, in the work of the Lord, 
knowing that your labor is not in vain in him. Part of that is giving. And as Brother Ivan, Brother, you could not have picked a more perfect Sunday to expound on the giving part or the offering portion of the service in your announcements. I appreciate you. It's it's almost like giving, man. But we did. We had zero conversations about this, I promise. Um, but that is why it is so important. Brothers and sisters, to be completely honest with you, there have been moments in this church's history, moments not too long ago, moments very recent, moments like right now, where we have a very hard time paying the very modest rent that is owed here and paying Jeff the very, very modest salary he takes. Because the giving portion of worship is so neglected, not just here, but universally across the church. There have been, there, there are churches who close their doors every year because the people stop giving. The needs of Christians didn't stop in the first century. There are still Christians, people who belong to fellowships, who have real, material, physical needs, and the church can't meet them because the people don't give. And again, as Paul mentioned in verse 2, he's saying, I'm not, I'm not binding you to a specific amount. I'm not saying everybody has to give $1,000 a week. I'm not saying everybody has to give $100 a week. I'm not saying everybody has to give $10 a week. But you determine in your heart between you and God what you can give generously. And you return that to the Lord by offering that to Him as a corporate body, the church. There are some wonderful things and I'm not on the church payroll, by the way. So, I can say this stuff. Uh, so, don't think I'm here trying to angle for a raise because I don't make anything for y'all. So, give me a moment. But, there are some wonderful things that God has called this congregation to do. We rent these facilities and we are very blessed with the, with, with the very reasonable rent that they request of us each month. But we want to get our own building eventually. We would like to we would like to get a place that we could put a permanent sign out on the front that says 116 Bible Church. Amen. So that the people in the community know where to go. If they need the church, if they need the gospel, there are, we want, and I'm not just speaking for myself, we want Jeff to go full time. We want Jeff to not be bound and restricted by a nine to five job during the week so that he can be freed up to minister to the saints to this body of believers and our loved ones 24-7.
all throughout the week and not have portions of the week where he is absolutely unreachable because he's clocked in at another job. That's something we as a church, I've heard this question multiple times. How do we make this happen? How do, how do we get our own building? How do we get Jeff full-time? Friends, the answer is very, very obvious. It's giving. It's giving to the work in the Lord and being steadfast and immovable in that work. Knowing that that labor is not in vain. And that's the answer. And, and why do we do this? Are, are we simply asking for handouts? Are we simply asking you to help us line our own pockets? No. We're asking you to continue in the worship of the Lord as we, his people, have been commanded to do. And part of that is giving. And why do we give back? Because everything we have, as Christians, we know everything we have comes from God. Everything we have. And to, and to take that and to hold on to it jealously and guard it and say it's mine and nobody else can have it. That just smacks of arrogance. You have forgotten not only the giver, you've forgotten the very gift. And I'm not pointing all of my fingers out to you. I'm talking to Sean. Sean also has a problem with being very greedy with the money he feels he's earned. And I'm sorry. I publicly repent in front of you today, right now, to be better. So that we can continue to worship and grow. It's not about necessarily growing numerically, it's about growing spiritually. It's not about necessarily growing financially, it's about growing spiritually. Um, one thing that a previous pastor of mine, he said a lot of things that I would... I would never take away. Um, but one thing he did say that I do take away um, because it just smacks the truth is that the pocketbook is often that last piece of ourselves we're willing to submit to God. To spend our money the way he has determined that we should. So I encourage you, brothers and sisters, if that's you, repent with me. We're about, we're about to take the Lord's Supper. And this is a time of where we are cautioned in the very passage from which we read not to take up these elements unworthily in an unworthy manner. And if this is an area like, like me that you struggled with, and God has shown you that this morning, I encourage you before those elements are passed out, you get on your face and repent to God. And you offer up to Him that last peace that so many of us find so hard to let go of. Then why do we do this? And again, as Brother Ivan so beautifully pointed out this morning, we see this type of giving displayed, illustrated, 
presented most beautifully, most perfectly in the person and work of Jesus Christ himself. And not just the personal work of Jesus Christ, but the very actions of the Father in sending his own Son. The Father gave his Son. The Son gave his life. The Spirit came forth from that. The very spirit by which we are gathered together today under the banner of Christ. And he asks for so little return. It would be the height of pride to refuse him that. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, God, we thank you again for bringing us together, Lord, and I pray. God, I pray that what was spoken this morning, Lord, was not... I pray it wasn't said the wrong way, Lord. I pray it wasn't received the wrong way, Lord. I pray, God, you know the, the fear and trepidation I have all week regarding this message. Lord, we pray that this morning, today, that rather being blinded by, by some perceived offense or by some foolish slip of the tongue, Lord, that what instead came forth was your word. Lord, and not, and not just in the generic sense, but Lord, in a very real and practical way in which we as your people can worship you as you have commanded us to. And that's not just with our singing and our prayers and the reading of the word and the preaching of the word and the receiving of the word preached, Lord, but also in our giving are giving back of the very things you have given us first. May that instead be what shines through this morning. And may none of us, myself included, make it about ourselves. And make it about our egos. And our own desires and our own fragile pride. But instead, may it be about you and obedience to your command. We love you, Lord. Bless this time together. Bless. Bless the communion. Lord, if there's anybody here who, like me, had trouble letting go of their pocketbook, compel them to repent now. Compel us all to repent now, whatever the sin may be. And Lord, remind us that this isn't the unforgivable sin. This isn't something that's going to keep us out of heaven. We're not. We're not lost without any hope. 
correction, we should take that seriously. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.